0: This land is your land. This land is my land. Welcome to the Public Lands Podcast, where we're bringing information, interviews, and entertainment about your public lands and waterways. My name is Mark Peddlety, and I'll be your host today. Today, we hear from Dr. Michelle Garvey. She'll be sharing her research concerning justice oriented restoration. Before that, a quick look at the week's environmental news. This week, leaders from 16 national conservation and environmental organizations sent a letter to Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke asking him to make sure that the public is involved in any review of policies affecting public lands. The letter, signed by the directors of the Sierra Club, Greenpeace, the Wilderness Society, and 13 other prominent organizations, was written in response to Secretary Zinke's March 29, Secretarial Orders on Energy Independence, which outlined a 21-day internal review process that appears to undo long-standing procedures for allowing the public to take part in decision-making around public lands. Here are a few lines from the letter. Quote, the original policies in place took many years to develop. They were crafted out in the open with comment periods, public forums, and multi-agency reviews. It is vital that any policies that affect lands owned by all Americans give everyone the ability to weigh in and voice suggestions or concerns. We have grave concerns that under the process outlined in Secretarial Order 3349, SO 3349, significant decisions shaping development and management strategies for our public lands will be made behind closed doors with little to no public involvement. These decisions will effectively scrap decades of work by public servants furthering the public interest as required under law. The 12 actions enumerated in SO 3349 as subject to review were the product of approximately 35 years of agency staff time invested over the past seven years. However, SO 3349 could wipe this investment away in just three weeks of political deliberations behind closed doors. Here at the Public Lands Podcast, we'll keep our eyes and ears on those developments in weeks to come. Now we'll turn to our interview with Dr. Garvey. We're joined today by Michelle Garvey, a scholar whose research deals with environmental justice, ecofeminism, and justice-oriented restoration. Michelle's courses cover a fascinating range of interrelated topics, including environmental disparities and sustainability, a course she's teaching this semester, science, bodies, technologies, feminist environmentalisms engaging justice, food justice, sustainable people, sustainable planet, and skin, sex, and genes, and many more in critical gender studies, sustainability studies, feminist theory, technology, media, and environment. Welcome, Michelle, and thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Now, you've studied the concept of justice-oriented restoration extensively. Could you tell listeners what justice-oriented restoration is, and why is it important?
1: Sure. Well, to be sure, I made it up. (laughs) I'm not sure that it necessarily exists as I have conceived it or or created it, but I hope that it does, and I found some examples of it um, as I have conceived. Um, But uh, the examples are few and far between. We'll get there a little bit later, but... um, justice-oriented restoration um, i'm calling this the synthesis of both the ideology and the practice of restoration with social justice um, and equity concerns so um, if restoration is a, a method of repairing damaged relationships with landscapes or waterscapes um, I think that's an uh, idea that can also be applied to the social world as well in repairing um, uh, broken human communities. Um, but typically in social justice, we don't talk a lot about um, non-human issues. We don't talk a lot about um, landscapes or ecologies. And on the flip side, in, in environmental studies and sciences, we also don't tend to talk about social justice issues. Um, so this idea is a way for those two to marry. and and uh, see what, um, what productive outcomes could, could become of it.
0: Oh, excellent. As yeah. you're describing it, it, sort of makes me think that it's uh, almost a more holistic ecology. And, Absolutely. Um, as well, a sort of more holistic sociological imagination, if you will. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. awesome. So as opposed to restoration, many people are more familiar with terms like conservation, preservation.
1: Right.
0: How does restoration relate to those discourses, and what does a focus on environmental justice bring to the discussion of restoration?
1: Oh, man. So this is a really big, um, big question. You're right. Um, Preservationism and conservationism are the two really prominent and lasting, enduring environmental ideologies in the United States. Um, They are also, as you and many of your students, I'm sure, are aware, they are products of um, uh, a distinctly Euro-American kind of imaginary. Um, And... um, the way that they are conceived is basically to, in order to separate nature and culture, to separate human from the non human. Um, and so, you know, in America, back in American history during westward expansion, um, this idea of creating preserves or set asides, places that could be conserved, um, the, the idea that humans could live there or work there, um, Uh, And use the land, tend the land. That was a fundamentally kind of incompatible idea to um, uh, the Euro-American pioneers, right, who are moving west. Um, And, uh, you know, that was the idea that fundamentally formed the basis of our national park system. Um, and even in mainstream environmentalism today, you see a lot of efforts toward conservationism and preservationism, and not so much toward this idea that there should be human involvement and interaction with and stewardship of the land. And that's a, that's a restoration concept. So that's one thing that immediately drew me to the, to the field and to the practice in my, um, in my early twenties. I worked in in an AmeriCorps program called EarthCorps out in Seattle, and I just fell in love with it. I ended up finding a lot of problems with it, too, and that's what really carried into my scholarly studies. But um, the um, idea of restoration, I would say, both emerges from this mainstream idea of preservationism and conservationism, but it also departs from it. Um, And so can I speak to both of those tensions for a moment? Okay. Um, So... um, <clears throat> Restoration is a relatively new environmental practice. It began in the 1970s and in the 1980s. It was actually developed uh, intensively at the University of Wisconsin Madison. Um, and it, the intent, right, is to revive degraded ecological sites um, that have been degraded by environmental contamination, uh, invasive species, or development, right? With this end goal that with human assistance, Um, it will return to a site of um, self-sustenance. It'll be able to function on its own ecologically. And in the more traditional iterations of um, restoration, it really tends to this preservationist kind of ideology because the practice seeks to restore or repair habitats um, um, with respect to some kind of historical origin. Right, and by the way, that's heavily debated, right? So, which site, or to to what point back in history, are we trying to restore a, a site? And so that has to be, you know, sussed out with a lot of care by the ecologists um, involved in the restoration. Um, In that iteration, the practice can be bent on establishing all native species because oftentimes, right, natives have really evolved best to their ecologies and they best support ecosystems and creatures that belong there on this evolutionary kind of timeline. Um, Now, as a lot of critical humanities and social scientists have pointed out that 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 sentiment can also become problematic if it's infused with Ideas of social nativism or xenophobia, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, you might see um, uh, rhetoric sometimes coming from within restoration ecology itself, but mostly within like mainstream mass media um, rhetoric that um, that. Describes um, non native or invasive species um, in ways that are often mapped on to marginalized human communities. So, um, and, and both are conceived of as threats to. Um, the purity of the land, a.k.a. the purity of the, pop- of the white population, right, uh, threats to the economy and that they reproduce rapidly, right, and they, um, you know, drain our resources or they're silently taking over, right. Um, and you see that today all the time, by the way, in descriptions of invasive carp, right, here in a local kind of setting. Um, a lot of folks refer the, to, that, to, to the invasive carp as Asian carp, right, but that's that's that has some underlying xenophobic tones to it, right. Um So not only do those kinds of descriptions tend to reproduce racism and sexism, but they also belie this really fundamental truth about non-human nature in that it has always coexisted with humankind, and humans have been moving species around the planet wherever they go Mm -hmm. from the dawn of humankind. Um, Now, to be sure, today, um, with today's reality of globalization, the rate of species introduction is vastly um, sped up right the scale. The yeah, sc- yeah there 's a totally different scale that we 're talking about right now, so species are moving around the globe and traveling around the globe with people um, <clears throat> in ways in which you know they completely override evo- the standard evolutionary checks and balances, so I do not want to at all make it seem as though the problem of invasive species, for example, is not a real grave challenge because sure. it, it really is. It really is. Um, but it's also troubling when we see anxieties about native, uh, non-native species mapped onto anxieties of um, uh, human race uh, and, and population. That's so
0: a really good point. I think and, and recently there's been <coughs> a lot of work out that points that that often the invasive species is, is a symptom rather than the cause. So, if you, precisely, if you completely, you know, destroy a sort of native ecosystem or ecosystem, it's that's where you're going to get tansy red or, or Scotch right. broom or whatever. That's right.
1: And that's right. that
0: would be true of natives as well. The most deleterious native is going to be the thing that springs back if you do that. So.
1: <clears throat> that's absolutely right. So, the most robust um, ecosystems and communities are tend to be the ones that are are biodiverse and the ones that have been established. And when um, when they are degraded, they're vulnerable, and they're vulnerable to colonization by species that could create the problem of monocultures, right? right? Um, okay, so there's that, right? This the is a very, it's very complex. Sure. In restoration's more progressive um, iterations and, and more kind of contemporary or forward-thinking um, iterations, um, restoration can really challenge preservationism in a couple of ways. Um, first, it acknowledges it um, kind of um, uh, yeah. It acknowledges and invites humankind's role into shaping, and tending, and creative envi- creating environments. Um, and it also broadens restoration's purpose from returning a site to some kind of origin. And instead, focusing on how it can simply be returned to a state of function, yeah. and what that does, right? What that implies is that sites could be restored to fit the needs of current and future purposes and stakeholders in a much broader sense. So, um, it re- it implies reconsidering any hard and fast opposition to the inc- incorporation of non-native species. This can be dangerous, right? It has to be done with a lot of care but it can also present some opportunity, and that's where my idea of justice-oriented restoration really springs from. Um, There are some uh, really contemporary, controversial methods of restoration, such as adaptive management or um, assisted relocation, where in light of climate change, Restoring sites to some kind of historical past might not make any sense if it won't thrive in right. a in a climatic or in a in a in a future changed by climate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so restorationists are considering moving species beyond their their typical historical range of variation, um, and so in essence, those species become non-native in the places that, to which they are transplanted um, in order to preserve them, right? And to be sure, this is a really sad reality. I don't want to, you know, sound flippant or too excited about this, right? Because um, this is this is the reality of climate change, and we we know that um, because people depend on land, and land depends on people. Um, when uh, biodiversity um, um, starts to become threatened, cultures also become threatened and, right. and start to die off, right? So the two absolutely go hand in hand. Um, But I also maintain, through justice-oriented restoration, that there's some opportunity for us to maintain biodiversity um, um, as well as invite human stakeholders into the fold when we consider what kinds of, for lack of a better term, what kinds of new natures we can co-create with our landscapes in light of climate change. So I'm seeing this as an opportunity. You know, what, which kinds of human stakeholders can contribute to shaping landscapes that will benefit them and benefit non-humans as well?
0: Great. Well, thank you. That's a great explanation. I, uh, this is a little off script, but just as you were speaking, I was thinking that really one of the things you're asking for is to get beyond the simple binaries. And and another simple binary would be, you know, well, humans are always there, so humans should always be there. Because I'm thinking, for example, one of the things that uh, some European ecologists, especially in environmental humanities, have argued for the garden metaphor, um, because human beings Mm -hmm. do steward a garden, et cetera, as opposed to the wilderness metaphor of of the United States, which is kind of an easy thing to bash, but to a certain extent, that garden metaphor, if you see what it 's done in Europe in terms of biodiversity, you suddenly see that they 're as flawed and horrible sure, as it is, sure. especially from a justice perspective, sure that there are some virtues in the wilderness, especially if you get into the actual complex questions of biodiversity. what does it mean to have a planet of eight <laughs> billion people as opposed to somebody tending a garden you know yeah, and that how yeah. complex these these questions are
1: right
0: do you This is this is almost too theoretical because it would be such an advance to even have to worry about this. But could you see any ways in which uh, um, restoration rhetorics could be then the next thing that becomes the dominating rhetoric? Interesting.
1: Interesting. I hadn't considered it before, but I think that's really compelling Um, and that part of.
0: And it's really more a matter of appropriation or incorporation, yeah, yeah, right, not right. a question that they're, they're doing what you're, you know, um, right. suggesting.
1: Right. But I think that part of also bringing into the fold um, more human stakeholders in determining how to... Um, plan and restore lands, we're, we also need to be tending to the human communities that have been most uh, most marginalized, right? Mm-hmm. And um, many of those communities um, have, you know, been responsible for maintaining vast tracts of wilderness um, in, in states where, um, you know, they're, they serve to benefit us in, 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 in numerous ways, and yet um, also really important for us to remember that as humans, we don't have to be everywhere. We can't be everywhere, and we shouldn't be, right? Because there are other values and there are other creatures on this planet that also deserve um, their space, right? Apart from us, so.
0: Excellent. Well, that actually is a perfect place to end here, I think. Okay. Thank you so much, Michelle. We really appreciate you, ha- you speaking to us.
1: Sure. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah, take care.
0: That's it for this week. Until next week's podcast, enjoy, share, and take care of a park, lake, or river near you. This land is your land.